The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahada Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have your company for the next couple of hours. Coming up in a while on the show, many of you listening today are juggling. Juggling school, home, work, more besides, and it ain't easy. Well, I have a brilliant lady joining me. Her name is Nicola Cullity, and she's going to talk about the juggling going on in homes across the Northeast this afternoon with me. Jason O'Callaghan's here as well. Great guy. But listen to this, folks. He got rid of... 95% of everything he owned. He has some story talking to me a little bit later on in the show. Don't forget the usual numbers. If you'd like to join in the conversation, 086-1800-658 is the WhatsApp or text number, or you can call in on 1857-15958. Now, I've been having a ding-dong with some people since this uh, pandemic began. Deniers of COVID who say the whole thing is a ruse. You know, we are being duped here by government, by big government and big business. You know the type of people I'm talking about. Peter was one of them. He was on to me yesterday on the show. We're going to have a conversation for the next while with a man called Tom Conachie. He's well known, the length and breadth of the Northeast and the country, I have to say. He's the most brilliant photographer and he's on the line to tell me his story. Tom, thank you for joining me. Hello, Jerry. Good afternoon and good afternoon to your uh, listeners. Tom, I spotted you had a lovely letter, I have to tell our listeners, in the Sunday Independent on Sunday. And uh, it touched me, honestly, what you had to say. So let's, Tom, tell your story to late lunch listeners today. Tell us about you and how or why you had to go to Our Lady Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. Well, uh, I got COVID on St. Stephen's Day. And the way it affected me was coughing. And I mean coughing. I coughed that much. My stomach muscles were sore. Now, I had to wait until Monday to ring my doctor, Dr. Sinead O'Brien in Dundalk, to organize a test. And I got a test the next day, myself and my wife, in RD. And that was very, very, very well done. And on the way out, we were told to isolate as if you have covid Mm. So the next evening, at half ten, my doctor rang me to say, you guys have COVID. You have to isolate now for two weeks. That's fine. I'm lucky. My wife and I are lucky. We had our son and daughter could do the shopping. Mm. Very lucky. But yes. after two weeks, my doctor, Sinead O'Brien, one, I have uh, chest problems. She wanted an X-ray done to see what damage COVID did. Right. So I said, sure, and go up to the Lourdes and get it. I said, I'll get it in the dock. No, she says, you won't get it in the dock because I would be waiting a week, maybe 10 days for the result. So my daughter dropped me up to the Lourdes and uh, right in at half two. A lovely reception. She had all my details. I was taken into a room. Blood was taken off. And... Uh, over the next three hours, I had uh, all the tests done, x-rays done, and I was put into the COVID ward. Uh, they put me on a monitor, and I'm a musician, 
And the monitor wasn't playing the same tune, if you know what I mean, when it was yes. over and back. So uh, the doctor arrived and uh, he, he had a look at the monitor. He says, we are admitting you. He was only away 10 minutes and the alarm bells went off. Two nurses came running, turned off the, the monitor, switched it back on again. The alarm bells rang. They got another monitor and connected me up to it. The same. And out of nowhere, these two cardiologists arrived with more machines and they wired me up. I was like Neil Armstrong ready to go to the moon. I had that many <laughs> wires stuck all over. And they injected stuff into my stomach. The thing in my arm, the plastic lad, they injected stuff into uh, my arm. They gave me other injections and they were able to, to stabilize my heart. And the senior car- cardiologist said to me, you are very lucky. You are on the verge of a stroke. I wouldn't be talking to you today only for these wonderful, and I mean wonderful, staff in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. And when I was in the COVID ward, I was watching the nurses working, and by God, did they work. They never stopped. One girl from Dundalk, I'm not going to mention her name, at three o'clock, she didn't even have a break. She was finished at eight o'clock, and she was still writing at half eight. She went home at 20 minutes to nine that night. Another nurse, uh, I asked her, uh, what do you do when you go home? She says, I have a shower and I just chill out, totally exhausted. You wouldn't believe, Jerry, the work that these men and women are doing in there. Now, when I was in the COVID ward, uh, I asked to be disconnected from the monitor. I wanted to go to the bathroom. And the bathroom was the furthest end of the ward. And when I was walking up, I saw these people older than me in an awful, awful condition. I said, Jesus Christ, look at these poor people. They're here lying on the bed, waiting to die or maybe up to the ICU. But I just said, here they are. No, nobody with them, belong, no family with them, that they're on their own. It was such heartbreaking to see it. Mm. it but Tom, more... Tom, you see what you described there and you describe it so vividly. I'm just sitting here picturing what you're saying to me in my mind's eye. People struggling for life with nobody with them. And yet, Tom, the reason I wanted to talk to you today is we have these people who are deniers who say that COVID is unreal. That's why I wanted to talk to you today. This well, is so real, Tom. One nurse said to me, there's a lot of people don't care about this COVID until they get it. And believe me, when you get it, you know you've got it. I have, they told me I have double pneumonia from the COVID. The, the, I said to the, to, to the consultant, how long would this take to shift, sir? Well, he says, I'm being very straight with you. I don't know. I have never come across COVID pneumonia before, but ordinary uh, pneumonia takes eight to ten weeks. Now, if people, if your listeners saw 
what I saw in the COVID ward. They wouldn't be having house parties. They wouldn't be going on raves, youngsters going on raves. They wouldn't be going to Betty's Town Beach. They, w- they wouldn't be going to Shib- Shibines. They would be staying at home. And I'd say to people now, stay at home. Don't go out unless you have to go out because it is rampant, absolutely rampant. And Dundalk got hit very badly. The, the Northern Ireland it was locked down the week before Christmas. So, and, uh, sorry, the North was locked down Christmas week. Mm. Christmas week, we weren't. But the powers to be in Dublin decided, let's open the shops. Dundalk was full of Northern Ireland cars with yellow number plates. And I said to my wife, you see over Christmas, Dundalk is going to have a problem. And we did, and we have an awful problem. Like you're talking about the Battle of the Boyne in 1690. We have an enemy called COVID-19 versus the rest of Ireland. And people would want to cop themselves on that this is for real. This is, and this virus is just not going away. It's for real. And I say to them, stay in. Tom, that's a powerful message. It really is. And, and, and a brilliant analysis of it. And, and I want to join with you in, in calling on the whole island, north and south, regardless, regardless of politics, faith or anything else. When I hear that nonsense going on, it just sickens me to the pit of my stomach. This is an all Ireland and an all island battle. If you want to include the one across the water as well against this thing. And it is so, so serious. Look at yesterday. We passed 3000 3,000 people who've lost their lives. In the UK, 100,000 people have lost their lives. Just think about that, folks. But look, come back to yourself, Tom. Do you ever consider, I always ask people this, and I've spoken to a number of people who've been unfortunate enough to contract COVID since last, late last March. Can you pinpoint where you got it? No. I say it was, I could have got it in the supermarket with this invasion, invasion from Northern Ireland. And can I say, Jerry? The generals above in uh, Dalairn, they have shut the gates after the horses bolted. They're talking about closing down Dublin Airport and getting everybody into the hotels. They are forgetting that Belfast Airport, George Best Airport, and the International Airport in Ordegove, there's flights flying in every day from all over Europe. And there are people in in the Republic of Ireland, driving up and collecting people and taking them home. Do you think they are going to stay in a room for two weeks? They are in their butt. No. And they can no. they can come down on the train and they can come down on the bus. There has to be a complete lockdown of, of Ireland. The island? Of, all of the island. And the quicker yes. Arlene Foster and... and how DUP people realise it, the better. Mm. We have to work yes. together here. And that is the problem. That is the, the sad problem with this. Everybody has to come together and lay aside the differences. Look, can I ask you today, how are you? Well, 
very, I'm uh, suffering from fatigue. Now, I, uh, I sleep well at night and I do have a nap during the afternoon. I am tired. I am, my wife will not let me outside the door. And I'm stuck in here now since March. Like, uh, the car is sitting there and I said, just about to go out and start her up. She gives the battery a run. You're not going outside the door. You know, like, I'm, I'm taking this thing very, very, very seriously. And thanks to the staff in the Lourdes Hospital, like, I could have had a stroke. That's what the cardiologist says. You were on the verge of a stroke. Imagine having a stroke and not being able to talk or walk. And I'm a musician. And, like, I, could, I, I couldn't play the keyboard. Like, Jesus. It's... It's frightening to think what could have happened and only for those brilliant people in the Lourdes Hospital, I was in big, big trouble and I'm so thankful thankful to them all up there. You know, Tom, I want to say that as well, that it maybe hasn't been mentioned in recent times or people might think we take them for granted, but we don't. We understand who are our saviours. It's the frontline people, all the people who work in our hospitals and care homes up and down the country. They're doing a wonderful job. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you again to them today. But Tom, tell me this. You're in, you say yourself, you've been looking after yourself since March and yet yourself and your wife got this. For a man who has so many interests and loves being out and about, is this a, a huge ask for your mental sanity and your mental health. How are you coping? Thanks be to God, I can I can play music. I have a, a Yamaha a, a Genos um, um, keyboard, and mm. I play it for two hours every day. It keeps my mind right. Now my wife, she was very sick about me. Now she got it, and she was lucky. She only lost her, her smell and her taste. Yeah. She, she was very lucky. But uh, thank God I had the keyboard that I can sit down and I can chill out. It's a big help to you. The music is your saviour. Now, the oh, vaccine, look at the, yeah, your saviour. The vaccines are coming and there's, you know, there's blips on the uh, on the roadway here. We, we're hearing that as well. And it's it's a big issue for our government. Tom, what about the vaccine? Will you, I take it, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here. Will you take the vaccine when it's available to you? Oh, I certainly will. I certainly, and I advise everybody to take it. Now, reading today, uh, Boris got in before the EU. He had his order in three months before the EU ordered and uh, they're running short of a of, of vaccine for Europe. Mm. But as soon as it comes along, I'll have the left arm out ready for the jab. That's really great to hear. It is. And it's an encouragement. It has to be an encouragement to everybody. But I say it again, I say to you again today, well done to you to overcome it. And, and you're very grateful. We're hearing you, you say that repeatedly. But again, I just want to finish off our conversation today. The reason I'm talking to you again is, and there are many skeptics out there. There are many people who won't wear the mask. Don't keep the distance. You mentioned the things that went on in the past as well. It's just must great with you when you when you hear of instances or hear people with this particular take on the COVID. Yeah. They're not taking it seriously. 
But I'll tell you one thing, Jerry. If they get it, they will know all about it. And I would encourage everybody to wear a mask, even going down the town, wear a mask and keep mm. your distance and, and wash your hands, sanitize your hands. I know some of the sanitizers are very hard on women's fingers to have to take their, their wedding rings off. It's born on their, 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 their skin. But everybody should take every precaution to avoid this virus. Like, it's something you can't see. It's something you can't see, and you you don't know where you're going to pick it up. We we don't know where we picked it up. I told you that before. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm convinced we picked it up from somebody from Northern Ireland shopping in Dundalk that week. Because every car had mm. a yellow number plate. And, Jerry, the guards were out on the M1 motorway stopping them coming in. But what were they doing? Rat running. They were coming in the, the, the side roads, in by Drummond T, in by Falkill, avoiding the guarded checkpoints. Yeah. You, you have it, you have it fairly clear in your mind. That, that is for sure. Well, look, I thank you for talking to me today. I wish your wife and yourself, Tom, all the very best. And as you say, you can't see this, but Tom Conicky has seen it in the emergency department on the COVID ward in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. And you've just heard what he had to say, the horror and the pain and the sadness and the illness and the death that can result for many people. 3,000 yesterday from this COVID-19. We all got to take cognizance and take notice and do what we're told. Tom, I wish you well. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jerry, And thanks to staff again in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital for sorting me out. Thanks, Thank Jerry. you, Tom. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's uh, Tom Conicky there speaking to me. Powerful words. Well reasoned out in the man's head as well. It's a huge... Pa- Folks, we just got to... You know, uh, have, we, we've spoken about this over the months on the show, especially with Paul Moyne as well. The, the uh, ports and the airports and people moving freely. And look, you heard what Tom has to say there. And I'd say he's not a million miles off the mark at all. But the point I wanted to get across, the naysayers... The percentage you don't give a damn. This isn't real. It's very real. And I'll tell you this. I've seen people who wear naysayers. And as Tom said there, when it darkened their own doorstep, when they contracted COVID or somebody from their family, their tune changes immediately. This is real. This is serious. And I know, look, it's been a long time, even from the beginning of the year. And there's No end in sight at the moment. The 5th of March is the next day. This will probably be looked at again or just before it by the government. But if we knuckle down now and get this vaccine, I do. I'm not saying all is a bed of roses or or joy. It it can't be. The the vaccines are are here, but we've got to get this vaccine rollout sorted. It's not good enough to hear there won't be a supply. And I do agree with Tom there in something he said. The UK stepped ahead of everybody. And that's why there's millions being vaccinated there at the moment. Listen, there's only, what, five million of us on this island. If you looked at the American case, Joe's going to do a million and a half a day now. How long will it take us to get five million? We've got to get to the the nub of this supply thing, get it in and then be ready. Have the facilities, have the people. Roll this out ASAP. It's the only way out of this ultimately. But until then, I say again to everybody, hands, face, Space, 
do it and keep doing it. Back in a moment. Yeah, Tina Turner and the best on Late Lunch this afternoon. 1989, she released that. September of the year, 89. And, you know, it's a song that's played. It's synonymous, isn't it, with sporting success. It really is. When somebody wins a championship or a cup or a trophy or whatever, that song is played so, so much. And uh, it didn't make number one. It only made five in the UK charts and 15 in America at the time. But certainly been a... A good old pension pot for Tina, hasn't it? It really has. Uh, your comments. Maraid's been on. My God, Jerry, that man recovered and wasn't his GP on the ball. She certainly needs to be commended. And hopefully those idiots out there who are not taking heed will after listening to that man's wonderful story. Uh, another one there saying, God, that is some story, Jerry, and it really does make you sit up and take notice. Thanks to Tom for telling it to you on your show this afternoon. Thanks indeed. I don't know who that one there has come from. Peter's back with me again, my old friend in RD, to say uh, the, about uh, COVID. And he says, yes, we all know COVID exists and it's killing people, but nothing like the death toll for cancers and heart disease. Well, they've always been there. We know those levels and they're going to be worse, by the way, Peter, because of the focus of the health service having been switched away from routine tests and procedures and things like that. Those type of things are all being missed. By the way, Peter, in case you didn't know, that's a byproduct of this and will be in years to come. Far greater deaths from the uh, common ones, cancers, heart disease, uh, stuff like that as well. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, the numbers of deaths with the uh, knowledge and care and the know-how and science that has developed since last March, uh, hospitals and uh, doctors and uh, medical people are getting better at treating people as well. But had we not taken action in the way we had, God knows what the death, uh, the level of death would be. And it's far too much anyway, I have to say. But there you go. It is a reality. And I say to people again, if you have another way out of this, I just wonder if we'd done nothing, what would it be like? How many deaths would we have? I shudder to think the amount of deaths we'd have. It would be all so out of proportion. I think, I believe it would be just unacceptable, to be honest with you. Anyway, keep the comments and messages coming to me on the show this afternoon. 086-1800-658, WhatsApp or text me to the show. I love to hear from you each afternoon. Um, the Chelsea Flower Show. Do you know something? I have the Chelsea Flower Show on my bucket list. Now, I am a vegetable grower and I love to grow for the table, but I have, I love flowers as well. And I love to see the, the snowdrops coming now and then the daffs in spring, roses, sweet pea. I do love flowers, but I don't really grow them. But I'd love to go to the Chelsea Flower Show someday. And I have it on a wee list that I hope to do. Not in the near future, to be honest with you. Well, not this year because the Flower Show would normally be on in the spring. But here's the good news. It's been deferred to September. And I think that's a real sign. If you wanted a sign out there today of the way the year is going to unfold with vaccination and with continuing to observe what we're doing at the moment, September, they expect the Chelsea Flower Show will happen in London. And I think that is a really good omen, to be honest with you. Keep that in your mind's eye anyway. I think it's important of better times to come later on in the year. There's better times to come on late lunch for the next couple of hours because after two o'clock, she's brilliant, I promise you. Her name is Nicola Cullity and she's going to talk to us about juggling work, home and schooling. Real warning there for parents, isn't there, in the news, that suspicious approach to the nine-year-old boy in RD who's believed was being groomed, a threat to ban him from Fortnite, and this uh, gentleman wanted him to meet him uh, to uh, to dupe the young fella. You know, nine years of age, grooming online, and then oh, it doesn't uh, 
bear thinking about. But a warning to all parents and guardians out there, to your children spending a lot of time online at the moment, that there are nasty people lurking about in the online world as well who'd like to bring their nastiness into the real world. So do do take note of that and keep a good eye on them. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Now, I don't have to remind you if you're listening today and you have children home from school, if you're working away from home, if you have all else to do that you normally do under the roof of the house, well, it's testing times for all concerned. So I'm delighted to tell you that I'm joined by a lady who's a primary school teacher. She's a CBT therapist and she's developed wonderful webinars aimed at parents and children and teachers and everybody really who find themselves in this situation. I'm delighted to say hello to Nicola Colletti. Hello, Nicola. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for taking time to talk to me on the show today. No problem. I want to say first off, congratulations on the webinars. I've Thank you. Uh, been I've been through them and I've enjoyed them, I have to say, thoroughly. And I can see how much benefit it can bring to all concerned. Now, look, can I begin from this point of view with you? Working, schooling, as I said, and living under the one roof is not easy. So let's begin with schooling. And if you have children at home from school, where do you stand? I'll just tell our listeners your take on this. Are you into routine and structure every single day or is there scope for latitude? Oh, absolute scope for it. There's lots of scope in this house, let me tell you, Jerry. And as you said, I am a teacher, but I'm a parent first. And before I'm even a parent, I'm a human myself that I have to take care of. I have had many days last year, can't believe we're seeing it again this year, where I have said the books, not today. And that can be because I can see it in them or I can see it in myself that it's just not going to be a day for it. And it's, it's counterproductive. It's, you're not going to get very far if somebody is feeling like that. So it's absolutely fine. Um, I will be getting text messages from teachers later. No, I won't. Um, it's absolutely fine. And I think a lot of teachers would say this. Push me the books if you need to for me. Absolutely. There are more important things at the moment. And yes, routine is definitely important. But we can absolutely adapt it to our own needs on that particular day. So there's definitely scope there. Absolutely. You know the way parents worry. They're losing out at the moment. They're missing their friends. They're missing the interaction, the actual lessons, how they learn when they're in school and develop and come on. You know, parents will say, we're worried. They're losing out. This is going to leave a mark on them for their lifetime. How do you respond to that? There are other things that we can focus on that will that if they miss out on now, will leave the mark. So this is a very, very difficult time. We know, and it's, you know, a pandemic. I don't know, but I didn't read the manual on pandemic parenting, definitely not, um, before I had kids. So it's really, really difficult. You know, the most important thing is that we are keeping up those connections for our children. So, you know, they can continue talking to their friends, I heard that news article there, very concerning about Fortnite. But we can still monitor it and they can talk to their friends maybe a little bit more online if they need to at the moment. That connection is really important. They can do other things with their parents. The the actual content that they're missing out on, you know, will be doing it when they go back to school. You know, teachers are aware that these are like really, really difficult times and no parent is expected to actually really teach the content. You know, teachers I know are sending videos and sending work and, 
you know, we're aware that it may not it may not actually sink in. So all of that content is um, is going to be made up, and it, it really isn't the the priority. The priority okay. is you know keeping that connection with their friends. Um, and I'm not saying that there there isn't going to be rules and boundaries, and they can do whatever they like from eight o'clock in the morning to, until eight o'clock at night. They need the structure. They need those firm, kind boundaries. But yes, there can be, um, you know, more focus on connection, keeping up with the friends and doing other things at the moment as well. That connection or that connectivity, I have to say to you, I see it in my own granddaughter, Ava, She's she'll be six soon, and I see how much she's missing her friends at school and missing, you know, she can't visit us, uh, even friends she played with, you know, close by, she can't go into their houses at the moment. How do you keep up that connectivity? Now, we are using, of course, WhatsApp and things like that, and mm-hmm. they come outside and say hello. What else would you recommend keeping that ca- connectivity? Yeah, I think that's really important. Those phone calls, those visual, WhatsApp, Skype, Zoom, any of that, you know, if you're within the five kilometres calling to see and standing outside, really, really important. Getting them to ring their friends, getting them to have, no matter what age they are, they can have a little chat with their friends. Maybe if they're friends, I know my my son here is seven and I do organise with with other parents for him to play Fortnite so that he can um, have that conversation. That conversation is really, really important. My daughter is actually having WhatsApp play dates. So she's playing dolls for most of the day, but she's playing with her friends. And, you know, you walk past and there's there's a phone there and there's no child on it, but they're still playing dolls and it's it's great. So that connection is, is really, really important because... That's the part that I feel that kids are missing out on most at the moment. And grandparents and parents, we're all missing out on that connection with people. So even for parents to maintain that connection with your friends, with your support systems, really, really important as well. To pick up from children, you know, how they're feeling. This is a very important point in my book. You know, especially young ones, people think they're OK. Do you know what I mean? They're getting on fine. They're, they're little east. Don't worry too much about them. But I'd be concerned, I'm just saying this to you, that maybe they're a little bit overlooked. What do you say to parents, you know, of the early primary schoolers, the younger ones and that as well? You mention empathy a lot and listening in your presentations. Yeah, it's so important. Empathy is our single biggest support that we can give to our children. Um, It's much easier to be resilient, to feel like you're able for things when you feel like you're understood. Um, And it actually has an impact on the brain as well. So when something is traumatic or stressful for us, there is a part of the brain, the Meadowland, this is actually calmed when somebody is empathetic. So when somebody is listening to me and not problem solving, you know, sometimes as parents, we try to go in and fix it and you'll feel better and I feel better and it's convenient for me as well. Um, But not always trying to problem solve. Sometimes it is just about listening, you know, repeating back what they're saying, emphasizing maybe the feeling behind it. So, you know, I do understand that you're feeling upset at this. Um, Slowing down your breathing, slowing down their breathing, all of that having an impact on their brain. It's actually really interesting, Jerry, because they have, neuroscientists have actually discovered that when we activate our emotions, so when I'm talking to my son and he's upset and I'm empathetic towards him, 
it's actually activating my emotions and sensations in my brain as if I felt the same. And when they feel that, they actually, it calms their nervous system. So when a child is emotional and they're in that really hot moment, that real emotional part, you know, something has gone wrong. Maybe they've had, you know, um, a fight with their sibling. They're really, really emotional and their brain is flooded with emotions. So when we're empathetic then, it calms that part of the brain. It calms the nervous system. So then they can start thinking again. So I've often said, you know, when a child is in that moment and we try to go in and fix it and solve it, they, they can't they can't actually activate that part of the brain that's thinking. So we need to wait for the emotions to stop, to slow down with our empathy. And then we can have that conversation afterwards. So, so important for everyone to listen to those words from Nicola there and do it and act on it when you're in that situation with them. Be empathetic, listen to them, you know, take them, give them the hug or whatever. It's so important. Come to the uh, older ones, uh, the adolescents, the ones in second level and some who are facing not knowing will there or won't there be exams this year. You know, when you look at them, they're out of education. They have social isolation and they love to mix with their friends. They have to physically distance and their weekends. You mentioned this as well. I, I just just thinking about this, where they have their weekends and they meet up and they have a bit of crack and that they're suffering, aren't they? What, what about that age group? What do you say to parents of adolescents? I really feel for adolescents and for parents of adolescents. It's really, really difficult because adolescence is a real significant time of growth and development actually within the brain. And there's an awful lot happening within the brain. So they're really relying on this part of the brain, which is responsible for their emotions and their impulses. And maybe that's why I've said this in my webinar, you know, why they might slam the door. And they also, they need three things. All of us actually, Jerry, need three things. We need to feel like we're competent. We need to feel like we're independent and we need to feel connected. They're actually three basic psychological um, core ingredients. So if you apply that to adolescents, they need to feel connected. They actually really need to feel connected to us, but they do push us away. And they push us away because they're coming into their own and parents aren't as important. It's actually their connections with their friends. So those are still really important. So if your adolescent is spending more time in their room, totally normal. They're looking for that independence from the family. But it's also really important for you to connect with them. But it's how we do that. So how we speak to them. You know, instead of, have you got that finished yet? It's a case of, what are your plans? You know, mm. helping them maybe with the organisational and the empathy, listening to them. It's really uncomfortable for parents, Jerry, isn't it? It's really uncomfortable mm. for your child to come and tell you, I'm really upset about this, or for you to see your child, you know, upset. Sometimes we actually don't want to see it, but we actually just need to listen. We just need to listen and say, I actually understand. I can't imagine when I was a teenager, what it would have been like if somebody had said to me, you can't meet your friends at the weekends. How would your teen self have been? So we can, you know, model our losses as well. I'm missing my friends too, you know, not taking away from it. Having that well-timed chat with them, having that connection, allowing them to have that connection with their friends. It's more important now than ever. Um, helping them plan. So hard to plan at the moment because we don't know 
what's going to happen with the leaving search, what's yeah. going to happen with the junior search. And, you know, those decisions will have to be made. But those conversations that you have with them are so important because you're providing the support then, you know, and you can talk through, you know, what are the possible actions? What are the possible consequences? What can we do if this happens? What can, so that they can see that you're there to support them. It's more important than ever. Yes. Now, before we finish, there's a group I've uh, overlooked. I talked about the littler ones, uh, the primary school, preschool, etc., the uh, the adolescents going into exam year, the parents, the carers themselves, because you do focus on this. I was talking to a lady last week who was telling me she starts her work. She's able to do this because it's flexible at eight o'clock at night and she's working till three, four, sometimes in the morning doing her day's work, catching a few hours sleep. Then she's up. School is on the agenda. Dinners. You know what I'm talking about? That pressure. Yeah. It's only an example. One example. What do you say to people who are putting in so many hours trying to juggle all these balls? I say, what are my needs as well? You know, what's my day like tomorrow? What meeting do I have at what time? You know, is it complete, like my kids at the moment are in the sitting room watching TV, maybe listening to the radio. Um they are not doing their schoolwork at the moment because I'm doing this and they would be dragging off me, Jerry, if, I, if they weren't finished their schoolwork. Or you have to look at your day and say, what's my plan tomorrow? What are my needs tomorrow? Your needs actually have to come first. It's, you know, that age old story of when you're on the airplane and you put on your oxygen mask first. Self-care, finding yourself. You know, we have to get that autonomy, we have to get that confidence and we have to get that connection as well. We need those three things. We have to talk to our friends. We have to have our own time. We have to have our self-care. You know, we have to go for our walk, maybe um, take some time on our own. And we also have to feel like we're competent and we have to feel like we can do things for ourselves because we have to put ourselves first. We actually have to. It's so, so important. Self-care and looking at your needs. And also, I do think that at the moment, the pressures that are on parents means that we can be very self-critical. You know, we can say, I should be doing this and I should have done this and look what they had for dinner and we need to relax our standards. We absolutely need to get through the next few months. Um you know, and we need to replace that self-criticism then with self-compassion. We're doing the best that we can, and that's always going to be enough. The best is all we can do. Ah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant words. Listen to what Nicola has to say. I love it. I really do. Look, for people who'd like to find out more about you and what you do, have you a website or how can they contact you or if they're interested in the webinars? Yeah, so I'm on um, Facebook. It's Full Circle CBT. That's the name of my practice. Um, Full Circle CBT Facebook will pick up Nicola there and yes, you'll be able to have there. have a look at what she has. You're great and uh, I'm sure you've uh, pointed many people listening today in the right direction with those very, very sensible words. Nicola, lovely to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Nicola Cullity there. She's a brilliant woman. Those webinars, I'd spent time through them myself and they're so interesting and so on the money as well. And I think the message, empathy, don't put too much pressure on ourselves and go with the flow and do your best. And you are all doing your best. I say that to you today. You're doing great. 
and keep it going. Keep her lit, as they say. And we'll keep her lit on late lunch after this break. I see uh, our friend Gavin Duffy is uh, going after Facebook, and rightly so. We spoke to Gavin about this uh, back uh, last year on late lunch. It was just all over the place. Uh, putting somebody actually, it was real, real bad stuff, nasty stuff, I have to say, uh, putting out word that he passed away. And it didn't happen once. It happened on a number of occasions. And Gavin was onto Facebook and well, I don't know whether a lot was done, to be honest, which it didn't strike me that they'd done much at the time. Anyway, Gavin, there it's uh, on the news that he's uh, uh, issued uh, proceedings against Facebook uh, for uh, wrong and false information. We watched the space with that one there. I see the Boeing 737 Max. You know that airplane? That new Boeing airplane crashed not once but twice, killing hundreds of people. And Boeing were taken to task, taken through the courts and the mill on this, and were proven that they were negligent. How the plane ever flew after the first crash, nobody will ever know, but it did. And uh, several hundred more souls lost their lives in that Boeing because of a fault on the plane. And Boeing were really shown up for it. They really, really were. Well, the Boeing 737 uh, MAX is uh, coming back. It's been given the go-ahead. It was given the go-ahead in America a few weeks ago. It's been given the go-ahead to fly in Europe again. And um, Ryanair, of course, a big Boeing, uh, they fly Boeing, and I've flown on the original 737s many a time. And now Michael O'Leary, you probably heard that story a few weeks back. He's now ordered uh, a rake of these 737 MAX planes, and they'll be in service. I have to say, I'd be reluctant to get on a 737 MAX. Now, Ryanair said they'll give you the option. What do you think? Would you get on the plane and fly now that it's been given the go-ahead in the States and Europe? I'd be reluctant, I have to say, for quite a while until these planes fly a lot and prove that uh, they are 100% safe because they must be to take to the skies. But they've got the approval in Europe today. If you have an opinion, let me know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call into us. Well, there must be something going on in the Kelly household today. Not this Kelly household, but the household of Christy and TZ Kelly. Oh, there is. It's a huge day for them. We've had lots of people on saying, please, Jerry, mention them today. They're a simply wonderful couple. Now, the grandparents, the grandparents too, June George and all the Heslin family, Heslin, H-E-S-N-A-N, sorry, Heslin family, uh, thank you for your request. Martin, Marie, Lauren, Amy and Grace have been on as well to say, Jerry, please wish Christy and Teasy all the very best today. You see, folks, they're 67 years married. And I know they love this man. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, Jimmy Durante there and make someone happy. If you recognise the song, what TV ad is it? You know, you know, you know, you must know it's Wednesday night and you should do your numbers because it's over 8 million tonight. Yes, that is the uh, song being used by the National Lottery at the moment to promote their games. Yes, the jackpot's over 8 million tonight. But I don't think Christy had exchanged Teasy for even the 8 million. Woody, after 67 years, congratulations to both of you. 
Christy and Teasy Kelly celebrating their 67th wedding anniversary today. From all your children, grandchildren, family and friends, they're so delighted for you today and we're delighted to say hello to you and wish you well here on LMFM's Late Lunch. Now, just reminding you that on Saturday, there's a bumper selection of live Premier League matches available on the LMFM app or you can click on the Listen tab on the LMFM website. The big one, yes, it is the big one now, at the Emirates Stadium. My Arsenal taking on the league leaders, Manchester United. Well, they're not leaders at the minute. City skipped over them last night, but I think they'll be back there tonight. They're playing Sheffield. So it's Arsenal, Man United from the Emirates, 5.30 on Saturday afternoon. And we also have commentaries, live commentaries on matches at 12.30 in the morning, earlier in the day. You can get closer to the action with Premier League Live with Now TV. Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sports on the Now TV Sports Extra Pass. That is there as well to bring you closer to the Premier League action. Still to come on late lunch this afternoon, Jason O'Callaghan tells me about chucking 95% of what he owned out the door. That's coming up next in the show. And of course, we'll have Neil Diamond and we're talking to Jas Foley, a cinematographer from Kells After Three, who's been long listed for the Oscars. Stay with us. As you sit where you are today or stand or whatever you're doing, even out walking, listening to us on the LMFM app, just consider this, that you decide to get rid of 95% of everything That's within the four walls of your home. Are you listening? 95%. Think of this now, left with 5%. So it's virtually everything. Well, that's exactly what my next guest did. And I'm curious to find out why and how life is now. Jason O'Callaghan, welcome to Late Lunch. Jerry, thank you so much for having me. Not at all. You're welcome to the show. And I just want to remind listeners, they may remember you were the showbiz reporter with the Sunday Indo for quite some time. You're a journalist and you're now a psychologist. So, look, let's get to the meat of this, uh, of the nub of this. What prompted you to go to this extreme? Well, as you said, the past decade or so, I retrained as a psychologist and I've seen and I'm sure you've heard of people since the pandemic, you know, dealing with anxiety and a whole variety of issues from insomnia, anxiety, weight gain, alcohol, like the whole, all of us are dealing with something at the moment, loneliness, whatever. So we see that every day in the clinic. Uh, We have a clinic in Dublin called the D4 Clinic, which is now mostly online. And we've seen a huge surge in people looking for help. So what I did was I decided, as well as for myself a couple of years ago, I got into this because I lost weight. And I'm much happier, obviously, since I did that. But now I'm realizing I was much more anxious around the house, especially, as you say yourself, being in the house at the moment, so many people are. And I realized it's because I had so much stuff in the house that was filling up space that we were paying for, we were renting and now we're buying, um, that I had no use for anymore. Like, we have three young kids and we had Moses baskets. You know, the youngest child is three, you know, so she won't find that anywhere useful. We had baby grows, we had baby clothes, we had uh, baby toys. Then we had work clothes, which I don't wear anymore. Um, I had sports equipment. I had drawers full of batteries and uh, toys and, and strings and elastics. And, you know, we, when I went through it, I realized that a lot of the stuff in the house that I was paying for the space, but they weren't earning their keep. So we just bought a new house in Dublin and uh, we're in the process of moving over the past month. And I realized that I didn't need most of the stuff. So I, I watched a documentary on Netflix called The Minimalist. And I kind of, one of these light bulb moments, and I realized, well, that's, that's who I am. Uh, 
there's no point in just saying that I needed to, to preach, uh, preach what I practiced and practice what I preached. So I decided when we were making the move, I discussed it with my wife um, and with the kids as much as we could. And we realized that an awful lot of stuff that we had that we were tidying up every day, especially with the kids, they didn't even play with. It was just been thrown aside on the floor. We tidied up. The next morning, they'd throw it aside on the floor. We tidied up. So we decided, okay, let's stop. Let's just stop. And we got rid of uh, a huge amount, as you say, 95% of stuff uh, that I had, I got rid of. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't live in an empty shell or anything like that. We still have some clothes. We still have all the bits that we only kept what we use each day, plus obviously sentimental objects and bits and pieces. But like wedding presents that we had got that we never opened, they were gone. Uh, I got rid of a motorbike that I had in the front garden that I hadn't driven in six months. That was gone. We got rid of all the baby stuff. We're getting rid of a cot this week. For my the child is free, as I said. We haven't got to a bed for her, so we're getting rid of the cot. We're doing everything. Nothing that we, that we use was got rid of, but everything that we don't use was dumped. Jason, can I borrow you? I'm sitting here in a room at home and I'm looking around me and I'm getting uh, uh, shivers and up and down me spine when I think about it. <laughs> but look, seriously, you, 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 you were at a moment like, which is a good moment in life because you were moving into a new house. So it is time to take stock for sure. But look yeah. at this has been radical. I, I, you mentioned, and you've only touched on some of the stuff there. You really did do a root and branch review. But can I ask you this? Is this just a line in the sand that you'll start to accumulate from now on? Yeah, the, the, no, the reason is I never, uh, some people have asked me over the past few weeks since this article was in the Irish Times, was I a hoarder? Now, I, I definitely say with respect to her, my wife's a bit of a hoarder, like most women with the shoes and the clothes and the bits and pieces and that, 15 different handbags. But she, in fairness to her, has come on board as well. Like, you know, at the end of her bed, I was watching her the other day. She had all these handbags hanging at the end of the bed, you know, in the bed. Now. And she got them all just in a black bag. She said, I haven't looked at any of those handbags in five years. So mm. it, it, once you realize, what do you wear each day? You know, you keep the nice suit and the work clothes or whatever you have for the wedding. You keep the, the stuff that you're using, your wellies for your walk and your runners for your wherever. But a lot of the stuff you have, you don't really need. And if it's not work, I'm not saying throw out expensive stuff. We never, we didn't throw out anything or get rid of anything that was, if it was worth something, as I said, like Moses baskets and, and, and costs and all that, we gave it to charity. We found Facebook groups and we gave it to, to people who really needed it. We dumped all the crap on the rubbish. You know, I must have had 50 McDonald's Happy Meals toys that I found in the kids' room. That, <laughs> like, you know, even they, they were looking at me going, what the hell do we want these for? A book that, you know, had half pages ripped out of them, coloring books, which are full of Stuff that you know had been coloured in. The kids had no interest in them. The kids haven't noticed one thing that was missing yet, and that shows you the level of crap that I had in the house. You know, um, mm. so as you said, I'm not going to. The, the plan is now we're, we've we, we've spent a lot of time, like most people, and and by no means people are going to go. Oh, you must be rich if you can throw away stuff. Not at all. Uh, we spent two years trying to to get our new house. We had both got our own individual houses, which we had to sell to buy our sort of people call it their sort of forever home or dream home. We bought a proper house that we plan to get older. And I said, look, I'm not going to spend this amount of money and work my arse off for two years to get the mortgage and get all the stuff, and then to fill it full of crap again that I'm just moving from one room to the next. And the one thing that really jumped out at all of us, and people can probably relate to this, is since we were renting for the past few years, we were sort of, we'd moved to one or two different places while we were waiting to buy. And we were moving boxes of stuff and clothes and jackets and kids stuff from one rental house to another and still not using them. So we sort of moved into <laughs> rental house one, paid for everything to be moved, paid the rent on the house, put loads of stuff into the house, took it in the wardrobe, then didn't touch it, moved it out, moved it to house number two. <laughs> 
did the same thing and did the same. So we had three moves with three houses. And the stuff that we were paying to move, which we never used in all the houses. So it was getting to the stage. We're going, you know what? This is getting ridiculous. We're never going to use this stuff. You know, we're never going to go back to that yeah. level again of, you know, my wife had wedding dresses, you know, for going to, as a guest to weddings. She's never going to wear them again. I think we were lucky enough to even get to a wedding. Uh, shoes, some are flip-flops that are worth probably three, three euro that she was keeping, you know, for the next holiday. You can, you can really buy the stuff cheaper than you would to, to keep it, you know? So that was, yeah. you know, we all, and you all, everyone listening will, will relate to that because we all have stuff that we just don't use. And we're paying prime real estate for it in our houses. We don't use it. We're not going to use it. And if you really needed it that much, you could probably buy a new one for very little or nothing, you know? So yeah, you make the point so well. You really do. And you've answered the question. You are now at a point where you're never going back to the situation that you're going to build up all those boxes, accumulations again. You've seen the light. I, a very interesting quote from you. Own your stuff and get rid of it or it will end up owning you. It is. like You have to realise it, it's a bit like freedom. The, the one thing that people like in life is freedom. We all want to be free. And whether you're working 40 years in the post office and you go, well, I'm retiring, I'm going to be free, or whatever it is. But yet you're spending all your money on stuff and, and you need to earn the money, so you need to give up your freedom to earn the money to put the stuff in the house that you're not going to use. And my, my, my opinion is just stop it. Stop buying stuff. You don't need it. Like, I, I buy stuff, obviously, but I buy stuff that I need. If I need a new pair of shoes, I'll buy a new pair of shoes. But I don't need 16 pairs of shoes. I don't need, mm. I, pair, I have a pair of runners uh, on me now. I don't have any other runners. When these runners get worn, I'll buy a new pair of runners and dump the old runners. I don't need to keep the old runners and the new runners. And that's, but that's what everybody does. And you have 15, you know, you might have 15 white shirts. You know, you might wear a white shirt once every six months going to a wedding or going to an interview or whatever it is. You don't need them. You need one of something, and a lot of the time I'll say to people, buy stuff that's good, and get it, yeah, and get, you know, my aunt, uh, who lives in France, used to say to me, she bought one black dress, expensive black dress, and she has it for 20 years, though. You know, it's, it's, yes. it's a good quality, like someone buying a good leather jacket. You have it for years. You don't need to keep upgrading it. And in this sort of uh, culture that we have of cheap fashion, you know, people are buying crap and dumping crap and buying more crap and keeping the crap, and then buying more crap to go on top of the crap. <laughs> Stop it. You know, stop it. And the simple solution is, and you watch some of these documentaries on Netflix, we'll give it to you. They'll actually say, just walk into your bedroom, get all your clothes, put them on the bed, throw them out, every single thing on the bed, get two boxes, one box to keep, one box to give away to charity. That's as simple as it becomes. And then suddenly you realize, Jesus, I have all these wardrobes. Like most of us have a wardrobe in our room which goes the length of the wall. That's kind of the standard Irish thing, you know, built-in wardrobes. Do you really need three wardrobes full of stuff? And 15 no. pairs of shoes and your sports no. gear. You haven't, you haven't played tennis in 15 years. You're not going to do it now. <laughs> Throw out the racket, lads. You haven't, the, bike, the bike has two punchers. It's not going anywhere. Throw it in the skip. You know, it's just about doing, if you, if you want to keep stuff, use it. If you don't want to keep stuff, get rid of it. If you, if you get so obsessed that I threw out, oh, geez, I threw out a pair of 1984 socks that I was going to keep, you can buy a new pair, lads. It's not the end of the world. None of us are that bad. But I'm just saying, it's really about being practical. Keep stuff in your life that you need for work or for family or things that are sentimental value. And the rest of the stuff, just get rid of it and give yourself back your home because you're spending enough money on it. You know, and, it's, and you're paying for this, this, this stuff that, that's not earning its way. It's not keeping its way. Mm. And that's really what it's about. And I, I think I can recommend anyone Pop onto Netflix or even to YouTube, look at the video of these two guys in America who, who sort of inspired me to do it, and I'm inspiring people in Ireland to do it, and it's about taking care of your mental health. You get your walk in every day, you get rid of your clutter, you eat healthy, you sleep better, and suddenly 
you, you feel better, you know, and a lot of the yeah. time in the D4 clinic, we see people who come in and, and they'll say this to me. They'll say, I'm very anxious. And I'll say, all right, let's go through a few things. They say, how's your exercise? And they'll say, well, I used to go for the walk every day, but I don't go anymore. Oh, okay. And how's your diet? I sure I used to eat really healthy, but you know, I don't cook anymore. I get to take away every night. Okay. And how are you, are you with the friends? Are you hanging out with your married girl? Oh, no, I'm, I'm single, but I, I used to hang out with my mates and have a coffee once a week. I don't do that anymore. So you, and then what you realize is they're anxious because they gave up the medicine. The medicine was sleeping well, eating well, talking to the, talking to the friends over a coffee, going for a walk every day. That's the medicine. But when we stop doing it, we then realize I'm feeling very anxious. But that was actually the medicine that you needed to get rid of the anxiety. You stopped doing it, and then you got anxiety. So as a psychologist, you're saying it's the simple things. It's that sort of wheel of wellness, we call it. Imagine your life is a 360-degree wheel, and a portion of it is your diet. If you, you know, I'm not saying you live on quinoa and cucumber, but I'm saying you know, if you're eating McDonald's 15, 15 times a week and, and curries every night and drinking 15 cans of Red Bull and 16 Cokes a day, you're not going to feel too hot, you know? It's all right to have a treat. That's fine. And the same is, if you're getting no sleep, you're not going to feel too good. If you're getting too much sleep, you're not going to feel too good. If you sit in your arse all day, you're not going to feel too good. If you exercise all day, you probably won't feel too good either. It's about a compromise, about having that balance in your life. And, you know, it's cop on. An awful lot of stuff that psychologists will tell people. I don't need It's cop on that we try and teach people. And I read a, like, as a clinical hypnotherapist, people say, oh, Jesus, clinical hypnotherapist here, swinging watches and shouting sleep. I said, Jesus, if, I, if it was like that, I'd be a happy man. <laughs> if, it was, if I could do that to people, <laughs> like you come in, I could swing a watch and they give me a, give me a load of money. It's not like that at all. You know what I mean? This is the stuff you yes. see in movies. We yeah. need to and the other the, Yeah, and the other thing to say is, tied in with that is what we've been talking about, where your house is cluttered with stuff that you don't use and you're crowded in with this and when you get rid of it, that's another assist to banishing exactly. this anxiety as well. Jason, exactly. can I tell you something? You've been a breath of fresh air. I've so enjoyed <laughs> listening to you. You have a new disciple in this one that's been talking to you <laughs> today. You much, Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for joining me. We'll talk right. again. Bye Take bye, care of yourself. Bye-bye. Isn't he just brilliant, folks? I'd listen to him all day. And he's right. He's right for all hoarders out there. I do live with one, I have to say. I got a jumbo bin a few years ago to do a big clear out in the garage and around the house. And I mean, this was an MF bin, a massive one, a mahoofsuck, big jumbo bin, the biggest you could get. And I was on holidays at the time and I took a few days and I filled it at the brim. And I self arrived home from work and looked at the bin and said, oh, my God, what's in that bin? And I brought her over and I said, away you go. <laughs> well, no, she wasn't going to, <laughs> to tackle anything in the bin. But very true what Jason said. Did anybody or anything, was anything looked for from that bin ever since? Not one thing. Clear out your life. You'll be the better for it. But don't clear out. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Shane Holland is on the line. Hello, Shane. Nice to talk to you again. Hello, Jerry. How are things? You well? I'm good. First of all, explain to listeners what kite surfing is. Well, I'm not an expert, Jerry, because I don't kite surf, but um, I think it's where these crazy people um, usually get uh, east, easterly winds on the Irish Sea, and then they use a small, maybe four foot long surfboard connected to a kite and skim along the waves at high speeds. And they're usually pretty tough individuals, and they're crazy. 
<laughs> you described it brilliantly. I was just putting you to a little test there to, um, and, and I didn't have to step in. That's exactly, folks, what it is. So that's the scene. That is what kite surfing is. And these boards that they surf on, uh, they cost a few pounds. I know this to buy them. And people love a board when they have one that they love. They like to hold on to it now. Roll on, you're out round Shenick Island off the coast of Skerries. When was this? Well, on Sunday morning, you might remember it well. We got a fair bit of snow in Skerries on Sunday, and uh, I checked the tides. You know, we're kind of, usually when I go out paddling, I, I try to go out at high tide, so it was half eight in the morning. So there was snow on the beach, and I headed out solo around Shenick, kind of clockwise, and around the... You know, the backside of the island or the, the easterly side is kind of usually a bit rough, so steer clear of all that stuff. And I was coming around the the kind of inner side of it, and I I normally collect, you know, plastic and different rubbish off the islands when I'm when I'm around. But I noticed this kind of streak of white on the beach, and I, I went in closer to have a look, pulled up at the beach and saw this... Uh, very fancy looking board sitting on the sitting at the high tide mark and um you know proceeded to collect a bit of plastic strapped everything onto the onto the kayak uh, including the board and headed for home so you've picked up a board for yourself <laughs> it might uh, tempt you to take up this board no I'm only joking indeed and it didn't well, you, you have this board and you obviously realize somebody has been separated from this well, I knew it was, you know, I knew this kind of gear is expensive stuff and somebody would be looking for it. And, you know, when I came back, uh, my my kayaking friend, uh, Kevin O'Sullivan, who was watching me on a telescope out of his house on the South Strand, uh, you know, he would know more of the kite surfers because they're surfing outside his house. And he thought it was just a regular Scaries kind of operator and it'd be easy to find the person. Well, anyway... I suppose he he said, oh, leave it in my front garden. And I said, grand, okay, no problem. But we started to, we just posted it up on our kayak and curruck kind of group in Scaries. There's only about a dozen of us. And uh, funnily enough, then one of the guys, Connor Chatton, his wife had seen something on Facebook a number of months before and popped that up. And then that was from a lady called Donna. And the kind of plot thickens then when uh, another part of our group, you know, there's only 12 people and it's kind of the coincidence mm. of how small Ireland is. Uh, so Billy knew this girl, Donna, who had posted up saying a friend of hers had lost a board in Donna Bate on the 8th of November 2020. So, um, and we didn't think it would... It was the right match, but then when we flipped it over, we realised, oh, they're the graphics. You know, it's a, a green and green and white thing. It is the board that they're looking for on Facebook. So, um, you know, that led to further further phone calls and further investigations. So Donna ends up talking to um, this girl Ella or Elizabeth yeah. who's in in Kells, and it's her boyfriend that's lost it. Brilliant. Brilliant. The connections in our, like, we've always been a great country. You know that for, you know, your man or you know, your woman or his mother or father or brother and sister. But this now has extended greatly into the online world and incorporated all um, races and people who've come to live and settle down here in Ireland with us. It is actually Damien Kalinowski's board. He's from Kel. So it was his board. You found him. We found it, and we only, you know, I'd say it only took <clears throat> it only took about thirty or forty minutes to put the connections together. Now, you know, so from from Billy's friend Donna to Ella, the the girlfriend to Damien, the the owner, 
And not only that was the kind of connections, but when <clears throat> Ella phoned me and I, you know, my business is based in Duleek, so I was in Duleek and I said, well, I'll bring it to Duleek and you can, uh, you know, you can collect it from us mm. at your convenience. Mm. But unfortunately, Ella went into hospital there, uh, you know, suddenly. Yes. So Damien sent this other guy who's only two doors up from us in Duleek, you know, another fellow Connor from the IMR uh, business in in Duleek, and he picked it up yesterday. So, not right. only did did we have some contacts, but uh, Damien knows plenty of people as well. <laughs> Look, it's a great wee story, and it's a story of connectivity. Uh, Time wise, lost late last year, picked up now in the new year, and of course, all's well that ends well. And we wish Ella well, and we know Damien is delighted. He can't join us today because he is on a hospital visit, uh, but he's thrilled and he wanted to pass on that message. And thank you for You're finding the board for, for him. It really does mean an awful lot. Thank you, Shane. Keep up the okay, finding Shane. work. That's fine. Thank you very much. Take bye-bye. care of yourself. Cheers. Bye-bye, Shane Holland there. A great guy. He really is. Still to come on Late Lunch. Yes, we have your Neil Diamond story continuing today and a song from the maestro. And we'll be having a chat after three with Jas Foley. He's a Kel cinematographer and uh, a movie he's worked on is long-listed for the Oscars this year. It's a great wee story. Stay with us on the show. But taking us to news, sport and weather at three, it's the Lumineers with Ho Hey. Hey ho, ho hey, hey ho. Reminding you, if you love country music, be sure to check out our dedicated online country music service, LMFM Country. You'll find just great country from the likes of Mike Denver, Michael English, Nathan Carter and Johnny Cash and many, many more. Join our presenters, Darren Mahan and Paul McKenna, every day as they bring you Just Great Country. And you can tune in anytime on the LMFM app or on lmfm.ie. Now to some of your comments. Uh, Since planes are stress tested and the COVID vaccines have still to be proven, really? Don't understand your reluctance to believe in Michael O'Leary's ethics. He's a great fellow, Leary, isn't he? Oh, he's revolutionised travel and you name it. He is. He's a good man. He runs a hell of a ship and a great business. He really does. Um, you see, there is a difference. The COVID vaccines, before they received approval, have been tested extensively across the world by the manufacturers. Uh, that is a fact. Um, the planes obviously have been tested now, but it's a personal, it's just personal one I'm just telling you about. My own personal opinion is that I'd be reluctant to fly for a while, on a 737 MAX. That's all I'm saying. I will be reluctant to fly, for very good reason. Jerry, listening to that man, yes, wasn't he fantastic about uh, getting rid of 95% of clutter in his life? I'm in stitches here. I'm like that. I hate clutter. He's so right. Once it's gone, it's gone, says a late lunch listener. Uh, somebody else saying, hope some of his clutter goes to charity, not a skip. Well, I can assure you that the majority of his clutter went to charities, to people who he contacted on Facebook. He put it up on Facebook. They came and uh, they got the stuff as well. The rubbish went to the skip because we do have a lot of rubbish as well. But he did the job absolutely properly, let me tell you. No messing uh, with Jason O'Callaghan on that one there. Yes, Jared, fake news. I heard the story about Gavin on your news and you mentioned it again. It was a fake story only yesterday that Clint Eastwood was dead. My heart sank. 
These people should be taken to task. Thank you indeed uh, for that message to us this afternoon. And more good wishes for Christy and TZ Kelly coming in on the 67th anniversary. God, they're very popular people. Now, my featured artist of the week. Let's pick up the Neil Diamond story. In late 1969, Diamond moved to Los Angeles and his creativity really flowed with songs like Sweet Caroline, Holy Holy, Crackling Rosie and Song Song Blue. With Rosie and Song Song Blue boat reaching number one in the USA. He toured extensively, did 20 consecutive nights at the White Garden Theatre. I was in it myself in New York, but that was in 72. Then he decided no more touring until 76, four years. He took a hiatus and then he went to Australia and toured more then. 76, Beautiful Noise, 77, You Don't Bring Me Flowers, 78, Red Red Wine, and I'm a Believer. And then, what was it? Yes, The 20th of May, 1873, I'm going back, Levi Strauss produced and sold the very first pair of blue jeans. And 106 years later, on the 21st of January, 79, this song of diamonds charted in the USA. I love me jeans. I do. I love them. I just love them. Everybody loves jeans, don't they? No matter what the age. Here he is, forever in them. The blue jeans. Neil Diamond. Ah, yes, that is just a wonderful sing-along song, isn't it? Eamon was just saying to me there, and he is so right, when you think of a lot of Diamond songs, Crackling Rosie, that one, many more as well, and, you know, that song would come on in a nightclub, and, you know, you'd have it packed with people out on the floor dancing, and the place would go balubas. And we're sitting here today, and we can't go outside the front door. But you know something? When it is right, and right it will be, uh, very soon. Uh, you might think it's a long way away, but right it will be, please God, with vaccines and that. We're going to go balubas. <laughs> we are. We're all going to go balubas, I promise you. When we're let out, like the man said to me last week, cattle in for the winter, feeding them in the sheds, let them out in the spring, they go book mad. And we're all going to go book mad when the restrictions are lifted. That is for sure. <laughs> keep that in your mind. Keep that thought in your mind and it'll keep you going, I promise you. Anyway, we're moving on in late lunch. A final break of the day to come. And I have a wonderful guest to finish the show today. His name is Jas Foley. He's the cinematographer from Kelly and the latest movie he was involved with has been long-listed for an Oscar. Stay with us. The movie is called A White Horse and it's won numerous awards nationally and internationally already and it's now been long-listed for the Oscars this year and the cinematographer on the movie is one of our own from Kells in County Mead. I'm delighted to say hello again to Jas Foley. Hello, Jas. How are you doing, Jerry? It's brilliant to be back with you. Ah, oh, it's been a while and it's great to hear from you again. And may I say, heartiest congratulations. This is a wonderful acknowledgement. Well, thank you so much. That Look, it, it's it's amazing how films and projects um, that are passion projects turn out to gain the most traction and grow legs and gain recognition. And this is exactly a case of that. Uh, that A White Horse is a film that um, the director, Sean O'Connor, made with, with no funding um, that he, he himself and the producer funded it themselves um, because the story just really needed to be told. Mm. And the story is a poignant story because it brings me back to a time in my life when I would have been a teenager, I have to say, and when I saw the first image of the P&T postbox and Thin Lizzy written on the wall of it, I said to myself, oh, this is my time. But you know something, Jazz, I have to say this to you. Um, 
I would not have been aware of the theme running through this, which is shocking to say at that time or for a while subsequently. Tell our listeners what it's about. Okay, so A White Horse is a short film that tells the story of a young gay Irish woman sent to a mental hospital for conversion therapy in 1970s Ireland. And it is something that was uh, hidden but was there. And it is, you know, we're discovering these these moments, rediscovering these moments from our past. But this is a fiction, but this did happen. And conversion therapy did happen in the UK, but also in Ireland, right up until the 1980s. And at the moment, conversion therapy is still not outlawed in Ireland. Um, that it, it's such a hot-button topic um, also in, say, the United States, where this has been, for the last since 2016, has sort of come to the fore um, as something that is not being tackled in the way that it should be. So this story, um, we, 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 it opens with this young girl who is in a hospital gown in a phone booth in the middle of nowhere and phones home and her parents are waiting for the call. And it's sort of a story that hadn't been told in an Irish context. Yeah. But you tell it honestly, brilliantly. I've watched it not once, not twice. I've three times watched this again just to try and really absorb. And I see something different, I have to say to you, every time I look at it. But it captures... (laughs) It captures, you know, a time that you'd have to say you'd be ashamed of in Ireland. I'm sorry to hear that that is still on the on the books here, that, that law, because that, that's horrendous altogether in 2021. But the, the part played by the mother, the girl herself in the phone box, her desolation. You know, she wants to be with Neve, the woman she wants to be with, and she can't. And the mother doesn't want to hear of it, even though she's gone missing. And this phone call, they, I think they feared the family that she had died. And this is the thing, and, and it's something that the, the film raises an awful lot of questions and and conversations about it, that it, it can seem like such a normal thing, this kind of a situation that, say, Bridget, our, our character finder says, it might seem so normal today, and it shows the leaps and bounds that, that our society has taken in, in the recent past. But we see her really trapped and trapped in the phone box she's in. But it's so interesting that the, her mother is feels like she's helping her and mm. feels like she has some, you know, that there's some dereliction of duty or she must be sent away and she'd be fixed and that would be her sorted out and she'd go back to being normal. And there's that kind of tension over, is she, does she feel like she's doing the right thing and she's fighting with herself and also is the father who is kind of a silent witness to us, uh, to this yeah. phone call and to this and we're seeing so many angles of what went unsaid. Yeah, yeah. No, look, it it, it really grabs you and grips you, I have to say. The dad, he says nothing, but his presence absolutely is everything. I think uh, the the line that got me was when uh, Bridget, who is the girl who's in the nightgown in the the phone box, who's uh, in hospital and run away from hospital, says to the mother, uh, you know, will we go to Ballybunion? It's obviously a place where they loved and she went as a child and have fond memories from her childhood. And can I bring Neve? Can I bring Neve with me? And despite the fact that the mother is so worried about her, she says no. She says no, you can't bring her. Mm, this is it and so heart-wrenching and, and for people who haven't seen the film and might get an opportunity to see it um, in the coming weeks and months if it, if it gets the 
the nod that we would hope that it would get. Um, that there are so many uh, subtle turning points in it, and and mm. that 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 kind of maternal instinct that we see at the start of the call and how it just pivots. So from our eyes, so brutally and so callously. Yes, dispassionately is the word I was looking to to say myself there. The mum from turning from warm to really cold. And then at the end, when you see her in the hospital and those electrodes being put to her head. uh, I'm glad that you cut away from that. You did a good job there. I wasn't looking forward to see what would follow there. May I say the subject, it's been handled brilliantly. And this I'm not surprised the movie has picked up the accolades it has, and I'm sure there are many more to come. You did a wonderful job yourself, may I say? Oh, thank you so much. That that telling telling um, difficult stories is is so difficult visually, um, and that that's where I, I come from. I started in documentary, and I've had uh, wonderful wonderful time working, kind of delving into difficult issues. Um, uh, such as uh, Troll Line and dealing with uh, suicide in Ireland, such as uh, my latest feature film, Violet Gibson, the Irish woman who shot Mussolini and her being sent away to a psychiatric hospital to be forgotten. And it's when, when you come to something like this, it, it's the director's vision is what's guiding me. Um, but... Uh, with with this one, when you think of cinematography, you think of the cameras whizzing through the air and it's dolly moves and it's cranes and it's steady cams. But with this one, with such a delicate story being told, it was my job to place the camera, let the characters deliver their performance yeah. to tell the story and not to distract in any way. And that's why I feel it is so jarring and has gotten um, kind of helps to get some of the attention it's gotten because it is giving you no choice but to hang on every single word of that story. And as as you've very kindly said, when you watch it multiple times, you pick up so much nuance in the performance and in the story. And you really get you to think about the subject. Yeah, and that is what movie making is about, to prompt our uh, conscience and imagination and make us think. You've done it in bucketfuls, I have to say, with this one. I absolutely love it. I give it my full thumbs up. Five stars from GK this afternoon on Late Lunch. Jazz, you're great. And thank you for joining me. And I say to everybody, watch this space. Keep an eye on this movie. Long listed for an Oscar, a white horse. Congratulations again, Jazz. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show. Yes, we finished today with Kel cinematographer Jas Foley and we wish them all well. It's brilliant, folks. It really is. Late Lunch LMFM Radio coming to a conclusion today. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be talking about the border. Do you remember smuggling the butter over the border? Yes, we're going back to that time tomorrow. We have Straight Talking with Jumbo Kieran's and Kira Burke. Dolores Whelan is, will be with us ahead of Imbolog and Heidi Bedell has news on why life matters. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive and we leave you today in the the company of Harry Styles and Watermelon Sugar. Have a sweet evening. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.